Quigley in five, underwater in the yellow lane. Jess Carling of Great Britain. Quigley goes through, the silver to Jess Carling, wonderful silver medal for Great Britain. Welcome to the Honest Athletes podcast with Lauren Quigley and Jazz Carlin. Welcome back to the Honest Athletes podcast and we are coming to the end of season two with just one more episode to come next week so look out for that but thanks for all that have listened, shared and supported us. We really want to be able to help and support as many athletes as we can throughout this podcast and um, in our lives really we want to be able to help as much as we can so this week I'm very excited to share with you this week's guest. It's often that we can find it quite difficult to talk about our own well-being and how to look after ourselves but I just think it's such an important subject and something we can all learn about and I can't wait to share with you. Um, so this week, our guest is leading the research around athlete well-being. So welcome to the podcast, Katie, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's an honour to be asked to come and talk about my research and talk to you guys about well-being and hear some of your experiences. Katie, thanks for coming on. I uh, My first question, I think w- when people say well-being, they're like, yeah, make sure your well-being's good, you know, da-da-da. That's about it. That's all that's said about it. But could you just please, first of all, explain what is well-being? Yeah, um, so that's a tough one. Um, it's one of those things that I probably spent sort of the first year of my research looking at, okay, so what do we mean when we talk about well-being? Um, it's one of those words that we all use and we all think we know what it means. And then when we actually like take a step back and think about, okay, well, actually, no, what do I mean by well-being? Um so what we found really is that well-being, we can think of it generally as feeling good and functioning well. So having all of those sort of positive experiences and feeling joy and happiness and those positive emotions and then functioning well. So not just turning up to, say, the pool and just getting on with your sets, but actually getting in the pool and feeling like you can function really well and you can do what you set out to do really well. Um, Probably as well, it's quite complicated because well-being is really individual. So what I found through my research is that it's very related to sort of meaning and value. So those things that are important to you, those are the things that might affect your well-being and those are the things that you judge your well-being on. So, for example, if, say, your close relationships, maybe they're really important to you. And so your well-being would be related to them, whereas some other people maybe aren't so social and they maybe place a bit more importance on other things such as performing well or perhaps, yeah, doing well in exams, things like that. So it depends on what do you find important in your life and how is that going, I guess, would be then how your well-being is affected or not. And I know, Katie, we've worked together with Swim Wales and we've done some fantastic work um, with some of the athletes in Wales um, about this. And often I say to them that it's kind of like free gains by actually being able to work on yourself. It's not like you need to work any harder or you need to train any faster. It's actually by actually looking after yourself, it can actually have such a huge impact on your performance, both in training and outside of training at competitions and all I guess an all-round person um so how would you I guess describe um athletes well-being and how best to kind of manage yourself around training and competitions yeah so what you said is really important it is it's something that you can do and you can get lots and lots of benefits from working on your well-being so often 
when we think about well-being, we normally think about, okay, poor well-being or negative well-being or the context of sort of mental illness. But actually by looking after your own well-being, there's lots and lots of benefits that you can get, such as sort of you're less likely to get ill, you're, you're a lot healthier um, physically. So your heart, you'll have better quality sleep, better quality relationships. Um, and all of those things then will lead into performance. So I guess if you asked sort of how best can you look after your well-being, um, probably the first thing I would say is just get to know yourself, get to know who are you, what's important to you, what do you value, um, what do you enjoy, what things don't you enjoy, and then what are those signs that your well-being might not be so great or the signs that your well-being is great. So think back on times when you felt really good and you functioned well and then go, okay, so what was happening? What were those signs that I was like doing well, I guess? Maybe you were more chatty or less chatty. Um, and then same for maybe negative well-being. So have a little bit of a think back to maybe sometimes when you haven't felt so well and think about how you knew that you weren't feeling so well and often that's easier to do when you reflect when you're in the moment it's really hard to think okay like what is my well-being like but looking back it's a bit easier and uh sorry I don't know if that helped <laughs> yeah no it, it definitely all helps and it's uh, again as Jazz said something that's really important in terms of so you've just mentioned like reflect on your well-being that's a, a great thing to do but again going back to what I said earlier in terms of well-being seems like such a a large term for something that's so important and just to learn again a bit about what well-being is it's a men it sounds like it's a mental but is it also physical can it be like a how's your physical well-being your mental well-being and then how do you reflect on that because people that are listening now athletes and stuff is my well-being good well how how would I know is it like am I happy or am I sad or is that something completely separate I'm sorry this I'm making it like a 50 question thing but I've just got so many things going on in my head right now yeah no again it's one of those terms it's really really complex so there's lots of different types of well-being so you mentioned sort of physical well-being that's another type of well-being that's sort of specific to your health um I guess what I what I tend to think about when I talk about well-being is that that mental well-being, um, not the physical well-being um, as much, but they're, they're really linked. So you can't really separate the mental from the physical. And you probably know this when you're perhaps maybe feeling a little bit ill or not at your best. Mentally, you might not be feeling at your best. And the same when you're having a bit of a bad day mentally, often that can come through with physical symptoms. So you might have a headache or you might have some tension and you get those physical symptoms. Um, in terms of the signs, I guess, of how can you recognize well-being or how can you reflect on your well-being? Um, there's some common sort of indicators that your well-being uh, might be good or might be poor. So, um, yeah, get to know where is your baseline? What are you normally like? How, um, how do you usually feel? So people tend to... Um, you have people that you probably know who are very happy people generally and they're up here and then there's other people who sort of are maybe a little bit further down on the scale. Um, and then sort of getting to know when your well-being is changing is, okay, so when does that change? So when do you start maybe 
um, not feeling so great or um, you might notice changes in your ability to focus or your ability to rationalize situations. Um, or a, bit, a big one is like changes in your behavior. So changes in social interactions. Um, so a lot of the time when people's well-being maybe is declining, they will withdraw from those social interactions. Um, again, it's really, really individual. So then there are some people who maybe when their well-being is declining actually chat more and they seem to go like really, really chatty. Um, and maybe that's because they don't want to sort of think about the things that are going on in their head. So in terms of when you ask how, how do you know if your well-being is high or low, it's only by really getting to know yourself and getting to know your own indicators. And how you can do that is, I guess, like I said, on reflecting, and that might be sitting down and just thinking about your past experiences, or it might be talking to people around you. So maybe going up to your coach or your parents or your friends and saying, how do you know if I'm having a good or a bad day? How do you know how I am? And then they'll say, oh yeah, I, I know when you're having a good day or a bad day. I know, um, Jazz, you've mentioned sort of, your coach would say to you, yeah, I know, I knew you were having a bad day when you walked in. Um, so yeah, just talk to people, I guess, reflect. Um, and that might be reflecting just by thinking on things. It might be writing things down. Perhaps record yourself talking about experiences that you've had and listen back to that. Is funny because obviously, as you say, getting to know yourself. And I think it's only now that I've stepped away from competitive sport that I've actually truly appreciated and uh, trying to understand, I guess, those signs when necessary when my well-being maybe isn't so great. Um, I don't tend to sleep so well when I feel like my well-being's kind of declining. Um, I find it very hard to make decisions to get organized, whereas I like being quite organized. And like even today, I've struggled with a few different bits and it's like one, it feels like one thing after the other. And I came on here quite <laughs> flapping a little bit because I'd had a few things that I hadn't been able to do and hadn't, my camera died a battery. And it felt like a lot of things were going wrong. Um, and I really want myself and Lauren to try and share our experiences. Um, because I think for me within sport, it wasn't necessarily something that wasn't spoken about. Um, I do think we are becoming more confident speaking about it. We are finding it okay now to try and open up a bit more. But I remember, and we've spoken about it on the podcast previously, that years ago it would be trying to put on a brave face and thinking that everything's fine. And I've noticed a few times throughout my swimming career from missing out on the London 2012 Olympics where it was a very difficult time and um, I guess that was probably quite an obvious time because I had a huge disappointment and um, trying to manage myself back which did take some time but a lot of people don't know is the struggle that I actually had after the Rio Olympics which I haven't necessarily spoken about and that was after coming back from the Olympics, I'd achieved my dreams, I'd come back with two medals, um, come back from Olympics and I guess on top of the world that feeling thinking I'd achieved everything but I came back and it kind of felt like was that it? Was was that the Olympics that, that I built up in my head since I was a young girl to go on to the Olympics but also coming home um, and going back to some kind of normal when you'd been in, well I'd been in this bubble of the Olympics, the village, the athletes, the excitement, everyone talking about the Olympics, then come home. And when you start to come back to reality and 
I actually wish that I'd done some more reflecting after coming back from the Olympics to manage myself back to training. Um, because when I look back, and it's only now when I reflect and I actually pulled out of the world championships in 2017 and that was because my well-being was declining and I didn't feel in a good enough place to be training to be competing against the best in the world and if I'd have actually reflected and given myself some time some space and recognized some of those signs that we talk about when your well-being does come down that it could have changed and I could have been, I guess, coming back and actually understanding why I had certain thoughts. And I remember coming back to the house and I had people over at the house and I went up to my bedroom and I just wanted to be in darkness and just hid under my bed. And I didn't want to speak to anyone. And obviously um, that was quite a low moment, but I think being able to, before that, being able to reflect and recognize those moments, those feelings, emotions, um, but also when things are starting to, um, I guess take a bit of a downturn where you're not at your best. I didn't feel like I was at my best. And I do feel like that affects relationships, friendships, um, and all the kind of things that come with life. Lauren, um, do you have anything from your point of view, I guess, from being able to recognize, talking about it now, those signs when things do start to decline a little bit and you don't quite feel yourself? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we've spoken on the podcast before, about our downtimes and and before we came on you know jazz you made a great point and i'm sure you've probably listened to katie say something similar that we always focus on our downtimes but in terms of well-being there are up times as well for me in my career i don't even think i use the word well-being once you know jazz has spoken to me about working with katie for those listeners that are listening and has only spoken about great things. And I've thought, oh, this is amazing that some whales are actually talking about well-being because like I said, I don't even think I heard it once. And so when Jazz said, I'd love to get Katie on, what do you think? We'll do a, a, a episode on well-being. I thought, fantastic, because it'd be great to talk about. It needs to be talked about. I was like, right, okay, what's well-being? Well, it's being well. What does that mean? And that's why my questions at the start were like, what is well-being? So like you said, from I've only really thought about it from coming out of swimming, from stepping outside of swimming. And so for me, when I look back, yeah, there were times when I declined quite quickly, actually. It was like I came back from the World Championships in Kazan, where I swam amazing and it was like the perfect layup for the next year. And then everything just declined from different situations at home. Um, but I've never, to be completely honest, I've never thought about my well-being during swimming. Yeah, we talk about psychology and this and that and the other, and I'm sure all of these terms come under the well-being topic, but I've never actually thought about it. And, and my question to Katie, I, I, we had the number one squash player in the world, Laura Mazzaro, on for the last episode. And she was known in squash as the ice queen. But if you knew Laura really well, you knew that she was the complete opposite. She was this lovely, you know, person that gets all these normal emotions from sport, nerves, worries, doubts come in, as well as the positive side. And so as athletes, we are actors, really. We're, we're poker face, we're, that didn't hurt, but inside it's like, well, it did hurt big time. And so how, maybe for parents or coaches listening or for yourself even, 
how do you work with athletes, get to know them so well? And then what do you do about it if you notice signs that maybe someone's well-being is declining? Yeah, it's, I guess it's interesting you saying about um, sort of the ice cream and playing the role of an actor when you're in your sport. Um, and I guess oftentimes if I was speaking to an athlete who said that to me, um, I would want to talk to them a little bit about why, why are they keeping sports so separate from who they are in other areas of their life? Um, and because I think, yeah, I, as I said before, I'm, I'm not from a sporting background. So I think probably coming into sport for me, it was really shocking to see how separate people keep sport from the rest of their life when really well-being can't be sort of separated into, okay, I feel great in sport, but not so great in life or I'm feeling not so great in life and suddenly I'm going to be fine in my sport. So there's got to be that some sort of link between your sport and your outside life. Um, and there are going to be times when you probably need to, to manage that. So you're able to perform. So in competitions and things, but in terms of, I guess, there's a bit less of a focus now from switching off and leaving every single thing at the door and more to being like, okay, I've got this going on in my outside life and being open and honest and communicate with all the people around you. Um, and one of the things that that does then is it, it really helps you get the support that you need because if you are maybe there's stuff going on at home and you're going into the pool and you're not speaking to your coach and they don't know there's stuff going on at home and you're just trying to sort of perform and not think about it. Um, and then maybe perhaps that's not really working and you're not, you're not enjoying it. Whereas if you can say to your coach or to your parents or to your friends, something's going on at home um, or something, maybe school's not going so well or I'm not doing as well in this area of my life and really talk about that with people and be open and honest, you're going to be able to get that support that you need um, rather than just sort of boxing yourself in and saying, okay, I walk through the door and now I'm a swimmer and I'm nothing else. Um, and what we found actually was that often when athletes do have sort of negative effects on their well-being, it's because they have perhaps a really, really strong athletic identity and they don't see themselves as anything else other than a swimmer. And I'm not sure if maybe that's something that you, Jazz, or Lauren really um, can sort of uh, resonate with. Like, do you, did you feel like you were Lauren the swimmer or Jazz the swimmer? Or did you feel like you maybe were Lauren the person or Jazz the person? Yeah, no, can definitely identify that. I was Lauren the swimmer. I loved it. I was not interested in school. So I think that made me even more that's you, that's what you do. And even though I had great family around me who were like, you're Lauren and you do, swimming is something you do. I was just like, no, I'm a swimmer. That's what separates me from everyone at school. And so when that's taken away, of course, I know lots of my teammates or just ex-swimmers or ex-athletes in general who were like, oh, wait a second, I'm nothing now. Or, you know, what, what am I really? So it's really interesting to hear you talk about that link between that persona of outside of the pool or outside of the arena or whatever sport you do, and then 
the one that's in the arena or in the pool. Um, that's really interesting. Jazz, what about you? Yeah, it's a funny one. And we've spoken about it quite a lot about um, having our identity and finding passions, I guess, away from training and swimming. And it's something that I've actually found quite hard because I felt at times that it's given me so much focus and I've been so driven towards get, achieving and wanting a certain goal. But in the meantime, when things necessarily aren't going well, you don't have a good session. I find, wow, well, I found that it just took its toll on me, you know, everything just became more intense and I'd be beat myself up really about um, not having a good training session because it felt like it was everything, you know, it felt like it was your absolute life. And I guess even to an extent, even now, I guess it kind of happens, you know, when people talk to me, it's, do they want to know who I am or what I'm interested in away from swimming? Or do they just really want to know about the Olympics, what it was like to race against all these amazing people? Um, and that can sometimes feel quite difficult, I guess, is when people do just want to talk about swimming. And I guess that's why we did the podcast is to be able to share and to be able to open up. And we're not just the swimmer, the person. It's being able to find out all those different things about us. But Katie, I guess, how important is that identity away from sport? And I guess finding those passions and things that you actually really enjoy. How much can that, I guess, impact your overall well-being? Yeah, I think it plays a massive role in terms of well-being. Um, I mean, there's so many benefits to sort of finding out who you are outside of your sport, um, even just from it, the transferable skills. So say, for example, there's a lot of swimmers I know who are quite into Xbox and gaming and stuff like that. And those sort of reaction time skills that they bring from that hobby outside of sport into swimming. Um, but I guess that's still very related to the sport, but um, probably the most beneficial side to having an identity outside of swimming is when perhaps your sport isn't going so well. So perhaps maybe you haven't performed as well as you'd hoped or you haven't been selected for a squad or you're not really enjoying swimming at that moment in time. And then if you don't have anything else outside of swimming, that's difficult because you don't have anywhere else to place your focus or to distract you. Or one of the, the main things as well is that it gives you a sense of perspective. So you realize that actually there's more to who you are than just being a swimmer or an athlete. Um, there's all these other areas and all these other things that you're good at. Um, so then that helps mentally because you're not sort of putting all your eggs in one basket, I guess. I would love to just go back to something that Jazz said earlier because I feel like we, well, I glossed over it because Jazz sort of went, what about you? And I was like, actually, we should talk about what Jazz has just talked about, which was post-competition blues. We all talked about it um, after major competitions. But, and even though I know all about it, hearing Jazz say that she came back from the Olympics, she got her silver medals and she still felt the way she did, even though I know all about post-competition blues, it's still like, gosh, how can you feel that way? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, you know, in, in a way. And so what do you think Jazz could have done or could have been doing maybe and planned for after the Olympics? I don't know. What, what would you suggest if you could have spoken to Jazz straight after the Olympics or if you knew she was going through that? Yeah, I think probably my 
one top tip for that would be to sort of use the social support around you. Have those open and honest conversations. Don't be afraid to tell people how you're feeling. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, Jazz, but probably you were feeling um, like you couldn't maybe tell people because you've just had this amazing experience and now why, why are you feeling so down and how do you communicate that to someone um, but when you do have those open and honest conversations and you are, you do communicate exactly how you feel, what you'll find is not only there's more people around to support you, but there's more people who have had the same experience. Um, so if you don't talk about it, you're not going to hear all of those experiences. And I guess that's sort of the great thing about you guys having the podcast and talking about all these different experiences and all these different topics. At least there's somewhere people can go. And I, I don't know, would you have, would it have helped? Do you think if you'd have, heard some experiences from people around you who'd been through similar? Yeah, I definitely think being able to talk, I've never been the best at talking and it's something that I hold my hands up. I wish I do, because when you look back at situations, you're like, why didn't I reach out or be able to speak to people earlier? But I guess you feel, I don't know, shame, as you said, I did feel a bit of guilt and a bit of embarrassment that why would someone that's just come back and achieved her dreams feel down and she doesn't, she doesn't seem herself. And that can be quite tough. And I know, Casey, we talk a lot about emotions and we're very good at labeling them. Oh, that's a great emotion because I was so happy or stress or um, when we talk about, I don't know, being upset or things like that. And we label, I guess, guilt, bad, these kind of emotions. But that is just how we feel. So I guess, could you just talk to us a bit about like your emotions and how, I guess, we do all have various different emotions. And on some days I'm a lot more sensitive than others. Um, but could you, you just talk to us a bit about emotions? Yeah, I think we, we just automatically tend to label emotions, I guess, as good or bad. So good emotions, we see happiness, pride, joy, all of those sorts of things. And what we really mean when we say good is the ones that we like experiencing. Um, and then when we talk about the bad emotions, they're, they're the ones that we don't like experiencing. Um, so the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the sadness. But really, there isn't such a thing as good or bad emotions. So there's just emotions. Um, and as human beings, we all should experience a whole range of emotions. For example, there are times when being angry is actually a good emotion. So if you see somebody hurting somebody else, then you're going to be right to feel angry about that. That's going to be a beneficial emotion. So really get into sort of understand what emotions are telling you and how they might be helpful and not labeling them as good or bad, I guess. We, we often just try and eliminate the bad emotions, but that is what makes us human is experiencing that contrast between the, the good and the bad emotions as, as we label them. I always see emo having emotions is a, is a really good thing, good or bad, because Jazz and I have both spoken about feeling numb at times in sport. And that's obviously something that's not good because if you get out of a race and you haven't qualified or you haven't done a great race or whatever, and you don't feel angry or disappointed, you just feel numb, then obviously that's a massive indicator that you're in a pretty bad place. But I'm really glad that you, you've said that about emotions because like you say, people just say good or bad and that's not necessarily the case at all. Yeah, so as we said about emotions, often we can do and especially around intense environment whether that's exams whether that's coming up to a competition and we can feel quite emotional um 
what strategies can you do to, I guess, manage your emotions, to manage those quite intense and sometimes quite high pressure environments? Yeah, so I guess like sometimes we have emotions um, and like I said, they're, they're not good or they're not bad, but they can be a bit intense um, and they're not helpful in certain situations. So I guess, yeah, if you're standing on the blocks about to jump into the pool for a competition, you probably don't want to have massive levels of anxiety. You want that to be at a manageable level. Um, or you're about to go and sit in an exam, you need to be able to focus. So there are times, I guess, when you need to be able to manage those emotions and bring them down to a level that's oh, that you can still function with. Um, so there's, there's loads and loads of different strategies. Um, there's sort of some strategies you can do perhaps when you're in the moment. So if you're actually there and that the emotion needs managing right that second, then simple things like breathing. So focusing on maybe imagine a circle in front of you getting bigger when you're breathing in and then getting smaller when you're breathing out and imagine that circle just expanding and contracting and breathe with it. And then what that does is that tells your body that there's no threat basically. So um, it calms down sort of your heart rate and your blood pressure and all of those physical symptoms that then tells your brain, okay, everything is all right. And that emotion then will be easier to manage. Um, another really easy one to do is just, uh, you can use the alphabet and just think, okay, I'm gonna name uh, animals using every letter of the alphabet. So A for aardvark, B for bat, C for cat. Um, and then what that does is that takes your attention away from all of those thoughts that are going around that are causing you anxiety or whatever the emotion is that you're feeling. Um, and just bring you back to a place where you, you feel like you can function. Um, if there's situations where you know that you're gonna get intense emotions, then there's stuff that you can do beforehand. So there's like an activity where you can write down sort of all of the things that you are worried about or all of the things that might happen. So say for a race, you might write down everything that might happen, even as outlandish as it might be. So I might, put someone else's swimming costume on or something like all of the things that might go wrong or might happen, write them down. And then in the next column, write, okay, so what can I do about that? And then the things that you can do stuff about. So I don't know, forgetting, forgetting something. Okay. You can pack maybe the night before, or you can prepare yourself. And then the things that you can't really do anything about, they're the things that you you've put them down and you need to like leave them there on that piece of paper and then just getting them all out sort of helps you to manage those thoughts and be able to sort of do the things, control the things that you can control. Um, and then hopefully that's going to bring the emotions down. You're not going to experience such intense emotions in that situation. An animal beginning with X. I'm going to be I'm going to be lying in bed tonight. I'm going to be going through trying to think of all these animals or things for the alphabet. An animal beginning with X. I don't know one. I don't know why I said animals. But you've said it now. So well, now I'm just... Names is quite a good one too. Names. What, what is? Is? Names. Well, that, I'm glad that we did the strategies because that I think that can help. Lots yeah. of people, not just athletes as well. Do you work with coaches or parents? Or is it just athletes at the minute? Yeah, so we've done some parent and coach workshops. Um, probably not as many as I'd like. It's been mostly focused on athletes. Um, but yeah, definitely would be keen, especially to do a lot more parent workshops and involve the parents a lot more because I think they're a massive part of 
the swimming journey that and they often get overlooked in terms of how can they best support their child um, and also look after their own well-being. It's very tough for a parent to sort of they sacrifice a lot to be able to put their child through swimming. Um, I'm sure uh, I think you talked about it with your parents, both of you. And uh, yeah, they need that support as well. And they need to know how to look after their child's well-being and their own well-being. Um, before we came on to the podcast, we were just we had a quick chat and you said, and I know you've already said it on the podcast as well, that you haven't come from a sporting background. And so there's some things that you you've learned that you've been quite shocked at. So I'm going to put you on the spot here because I'd love to know what some of these things are, if you're OK to share them. Yeah, of course. Um, so I don't think I really realised how young swimmers sort of specialize in swimming and how much I, I knew they swam twice a day I knew it was quite a lot of work but I didn't really understand how much work so sort of some people are training two hours in the morning and then going to school and then training two hours in the evening sort of most days of the week and then on a Saturday um, and it's easy to say oh have hobbies I know we talked about having hobbies outside of sport and it's probably easy to say have hobbies outside of sport but how do you do that really when you've put in so much time and so much effort so I think I was shocked at that I was also shocked at just how performance focused sport is um, and I don't know if I should have been shocked about that um, but it is very much focused on okay, let's get faster, let's beat this time. And that that's changing slightly now too. Let's make sure athletes are feeling good um, as well as performing. But I, yeah, I don't think I was quite prepared for those, those two things mainly. Yeah, and I think even now, as people are starting to take note about their well-being, people do seem to be staying in the sport longer. I remember from a young age, you know, there was a lot of kids that drip, dropped out um, and it kind of felt like I was one of the last ones standing from like some of my age ages when I was racing. Um, and I guess the more we look after our athletes in whatever sport and the more we can, I guess, manage, manage well-being, be able to look after ourselves, the longer and the happier and the better environment. And I guess how important is that environment the, the people around you of uh, the things you're doing have an impact on your well-being yeah uh, absolutely massive so the people who are around you really can influence your well-being they can support your well-being and they can recognize when your well-being is fluctuating and um, probably one of the most interesting findings of my research that I found is that um, swimmers would tell me things like or the coach recognizes it before I recognize myself when they were talking about their well-being declining, or they would say, oh yeah, my parents, they know exactly how I'm feeling before I even know. So really having a, an environment that prioritizes and supports well-being and knows what it is and how to do that right is really important in terms of, I think there's also been a bit of a, a narrative of performance or well-being. Um, historically in sport but actually it's not there's no different there's not a separation I guess I'm trying to say between performance and well-being uh, it's not like you focus on one or the other you can focus on both and actually by creating environments that are well-being focused where not only focused on maybe the athlete's well-being but the people in that environment such as the coaches and the sports staff if they're looking after their own well-being and they're 
being the best person they can be. They're feeling good and they're functioning well. They're going to perform better at their job. They're going to coach better. They're going to parent better if they're parents. Um, and that's all going to lead to that performance gains, I guess, um, without really focusing on performance. I completely agree with what you're saying on if everybody is happy in their role and doing the best they can, then everyone's going to get the best out of every situation they're in. So that that's amazing to, to be talking about. I don't know how wide you've worked within swimming so far. So I don't know if you've been working right through all the ages or clubs and national centres and stuff like that. Um, but I would love you for you to talk about that more because I was wondering, have you noticed or has there been a notable difference in terms of the support for well-being, the younger age against, you know, the performance athletes or is it similar all the way through? Is there more? What more can we do about it? All those sorts of things. Yeah. So I think um, in terms of there's varied support and that's probably related to funding. So obviously athletes who've got funding, it's a lot easier to provide them with that psychology, the one-to-one psychology support that maybe they need. Um, but there's a lot of great work going on. So um, as Jazz mentioned, myself and Jazz have been running some uh, workshops and that's for the younger um, swimmers. So I think there's definitely been a shift and now there's a focus on, okay, so let's look after well-being right from the very beginning and all the way through rather than let's only really look after the well-being of those people who are performing and winning medals. Um, so yeah, it's there's definitely a, a shift and there's a lot more focus on well-being within the swimming settings that I've worked at. In. Yeah, it'd be great. And I think the more we talk, the more it's spoken about, I think that's just going to help everyone. Um, and as you said, there and there are a lot of tools. I follow a lot of people and I think even from like social media, there are so much pressures both in sport and social media in life for all the kids growing up. Um, but I think finding people that you do follow or that you do listen to, having things like this the podcast that people can actually relate to and can actually think, oh, is this actually helping me and bringing kind of happiness and joy to my life? Um, but I guess what is the strategies for helping with well-being? You know, we've spoken about speaking to people how important that is and that's something that I've always found difficult but you know when I look back and I think oh I actually felt like a weight had been lifted once I'd actually spoken about it but what are the strategies for dealing with well-being to help yourself I guess be performing and at your best daily again um I know I sort of already said this at the beginning but probably the best thing you can do for yourself to be able to support your well-being is get to know yourself get to know what works for you, what doesn't work for you, trial and error. So finding those things that bring you joy. Um, there's no point going and taking a nice long relaxing bubble bath if you don't like bubble baths. That's that's probably not going to help your well-being. Um, but maybe it's listening to music, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's some breathing exercises, but try out lots of different things. Um, find what works to you. Talk to people. Um, find out what works for them. Maybe they can have some suggestions of, and you can take that on board. Um, and I know I sound a bit like a stuck record, but yeah, just really get to know yourself, get to know what what works for you. 
that's taken me back to when we did one presentation, Katie, and we had to draw ourselves and all the different things that made us us and what we enjoyed. I mean, there was, I wish I had it. It was a terrible drawing, um, but actually getting to know what, what do I like doing? What do I enjoy? And I think it's only overdoing these kind of presentations um, that I've actually been able to write it down. And I think it's actually amazing when you start drawing, writing things down, it actually makes you think, oh yeah, that, I do actually love doing that. And it's only recently I've started doing a bit of drawing because I found that I've actually really enjoyed that. Um, so I guess it's finding those little things that you enjoy and that makes you you because everyone is so individual and so unique as well. Lauren, anything from you? Yeah, I just wanted to ask a personal question to both of you, really. How is your well-being? You go first, Jess. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely something I, ma- I try and manage as best as I can. And I've actually been working with a company called Teacup. And I think that's actually been the best reflection and awareness tool that I could have actually ever used. And I think sometimes, you know, I can get a bit groggy in the day or I can feel a bit down or whatever. And it's only then I've looked back teacup, you have to measure your hydration, how well you slept and how stressed are you today? Are you, how well did you eat? And you actually look back and you think, oh, well, I actually haven't slept well for the past few days. It's been quite warm, you know, I've not slept well. Um, I maybe not drank enough water and it's been quite hot. And I guess being able to identify and you actually think, oh, well, there actually is a reason why I'm not feeling maybe at my best today because it has been really hot outside. It's been hard to sleep. I know I function so much better when I sleep well. Um, So I guess now I do really appreciate and value the power of well-being and how important it is to look after yourself. But also, I guess, identifying the areas that things that are important to me, the things that I love doing and the things that make me happy. And at times I'm guilty of um, I guess suppressing or neglecting some things, going out for a walk or going to the gym, things that actually make me happy. And then it's only when you actually reflect and look back and you think, well, why have I not been doing the things I love, which are actually when I'm functioning so well? Um, So Katie, what about you? Yeah, uh, I think actually I'm doing pretty well. Um, I think my wellbeing is fluctuating quite a lot at the moment. So I'm coming to the final stages of my PhD. So there's a lot of sort of things going on and I guess, as you said, Jazz, it's one of those things like the things that you do to look after yourself and your well-being are normally the first things you get rid of. Um, when life is getting tough, you go, I haven't got time to go for a walk or I haven't got time to sit and read a book or maybe do some drawing. But those are the times when you really need to be prioritizing those tasks. Um, so over the weekend, I've actually prioritized sort of going for a run, doing some exercise and I'm feeling a lot better now. So Again, yeah, by getting to know the things that work for me, recognizing when my well-being is maybe fluctuating and understanding that well-being does fluctuate. So like you said, Jazz, you were looking on your app and you were like, okay, yeah, well, I didn't get so such a good sleep last night. So that's why I'm not feeling so great today. Um, or perhaps I didn't eat so well yesterday. So that explains why I'm not feeling so great. And we're not trying to get to a level where we're all just having great well-being days every day that there is going to be that fluctuation between the good and the bad days, but I guess it's recognizing when maybe the bad days are, are starting to roll into, I don't know, maybe three or four or longer than that, when you need to really step in and just do something to support yourself. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're both in a good place. And Katie, good luck with everything that you're doing. Um, you. How are you, Lauren? 
Me? Yeah, I'm good. My well-being depends on how United play, how <laughs> England play now in the Euros. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm good. I'm in a good place. Yeah, getting to work with athletes and stuff like that. It's definitely something that I need to focus on more, probably. And I think because coming from sport and being that athlete, and uh, as all athletes know, and people that are involved in sport, we we push ourselves a lot a lot more than we probably should sometimes so oh I didn't sleep well last night that just gets thrown out the window because I've got to do a threshold session so it doesn't matter you get in and you do the set and you work really hard and you know you give it your all Um, and sometimes that's obviously a bad thing a lot of the time you have to just do that as an athlete as well you know we can't always go I didn't sleep well so I'm gonna sort of go and read a book instead but we must and and we are learning more and it's thanks to people like you Katie that we're learning more now that that's more important than ever and actually really simple but a happy swimmer is a fast swimmer I always used to get told that and yeah it's very simple but it's true and so well-being obviously that big umbrella it's like if you can look after your well-being then your performances are going to come as well. Your training, your consistency within everything is going to be positive. Anyone that's listening, whether you're a parent, coach, athlete, nothing to do with sport, whoever's listening now, yes, you who's listening now, um, please just take a moment to think. I don't want this to be an episode that just gets listened to and then lost. Uh, this is a really important episode and we're lucky to have Katie on to talk about this and just think about how your well-being is at the minute. Is it in a good place or not? And if it's not, do something about it. And if it is, great, carry on doing what you're doing. It's been absolutely amazing to have you on. I'm really glad. And now I know that what well-being is, and it's, it is being well, but there's a lot more to it as well. And there's a lot we can do about it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to, to chat to you all about wellbeing. And uh, yeah, I hope it's been helpful. Well, thank you so much, Katie um, and Lauren, both for sharing um, your tips, for your stories. Um, you know, I think it's definitely a really important subject and something that we should talk about more and be able to become more aware of our own self and um, I guess what makes us us, which is really important. And um, thanks again for listening. Uh, whatever platform you're listening on, I know we've got a, a range of platforms now. So thanks for listening and for supporting us. We've got one last episode of season two next week. So make you make sure you tune into that one. I think just finishing off on that podcast, I always like to say, um, just say to yourself two things that you're very grateful for today. Um, that always seems to kind of bring me back and think how lucky we are. So um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure um, to give us a thumbs up, a like, or give us a comment and share if you've um, given it a listen. We really appreciate all the support and we'll see you next week. Bye.